1: Are there any news stories that have kind of perked you guys' ears over the last few days that we want to talk about?
2: The thing that I've been focusing mostly on myself is this, uh, this deep state war against uh, the president and the daily uh, volleys back and forth. And, and it's, it's not just the deep state. It's the media. Mainstream media is going after the president. It's been very interesting watching the New York Times and Washington Post leaking stories from inside the investigations at the FBI and the DOJ and um, how they've been kind of systematically trying to pin down uh, Trump and his administration with these stories, how his administration is fighting back. It, to me, it's been a a fascinating thing to watch.
1: It has been fascinating. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons why I actually voted for Trump, not because I liked him because I was kind of scared of him, but, uh, One of the reasons why I voted for him was, first off, I hated Gary Johnson and uh, Bill Weld and and as a libertarian. They weren't very libertarian, and I just could not bring myself to vote for them. Um, So I ended up voting for the uh, uh, authoritarian, I guess you could say. But it is kind of interesting to watch because he is basically bringing Washington to its knees, and that's kind of what I was hoping for. (laughs)
2: Yeah, that's what my friends who are libertarians... A lot of them ended up voting for Trump because they just didn't like Hillary, didn't trust her. And they thought, OK, Trump has been talking about decreasing uh, the federal budget, reining in uh, all the you know excessive expense and regulation. And that sounded good to a lot of libertarians. And most of the ones that I know who voted for him are pretty happy. I mean, Trump can come off as looking like an authoritarian, which kind of scares uh, Libertarians, but his fiscal uh, policy has been really, I think, well received by a lot of libertarians. He's cutting a lot of uh, departments and and the budgets and state department and a lot of other ones that are probably just a lot of waste. So uh, he's keeping those campaign promises uh, to, you know, shrink government, which I think is great.
3: And he's also pulled out of the uh, was it the Paris Accord or the Paris Treaty or whatever. Uh, that um uh, basically we'd have to pay to clean up everybody else's mess or some kind yeah. of change like that. But yeah, a lot yeah. of obviously a lot of environmentalists are
2: pretty uh, unhappy about that. But if you actually look at what the Paris Accord, the wording of it, it was a it was a bad deal. It allowed a lot of nations to continue to increase pollution, and it co- it, it would cost us a lot of money if we actually ended up paying the money that we were supposed to pay. So. It was kind of pointless, and I'm glad he got us out of it.
1: Well, I'm glad that he pulled us out of the Paris Accords, honestly, because I thought the Paris Accords were uh, a waste of time. And it's not necessarily that I'm a climate change denier, but I kind of am, because I don't think humanity is big enough to have such a big, massive impact on the uh, the environment in the way that they're trying to make it sound. So uh, in my opinion, I think it was a, a wasted, bad deal, It was very expensive, Um, and I have a few friends of mine that were, you know, uh, I guess you could say uh, kind of teeter the line between Libertarian and Barry Sanders, which I have no idea how you teeter that line, Um, but they were pretty upset about it. I've got a friend of mine who is like a big uh, Tesla, SpaceX nerd, and uh, he basically was just like outraged over the fact that we pulled out of it when in fact all it was doing was it was forcing us to decrease our pollution while allowing places like China and India to allow their pollution to continue climbing because they're technically considered a growing society although China is massive by comparison to the United States So I don't understand how they got that
3: well not only that but their pollution is you know our pollution is minuscule compared to China's At least I can walk outside and breathe my air without, you know, having to cover it up with a face mask or something because it's 24-7 smog. Um, But I I echo what you said about the, about uh, being a, not a climate change denier, but a man-made climate change denier. Climates, the climate around the world has changed since the beginning of time. And, If you think that we have anything to do with it, you need to go outside and look at the sun because that's essentially blaming an anthill for the magnifying glasses burning the place up. (laughs) Uh, We we honestly don't have anything in a significant impact to do with the climate change.
1: So I think we've found our title for this episode something to do with (laughs) (laughs) anthill arguing
4: with a magnifying glass. Right.
2: There, There you go
4: my thoughts on on climate change are um a little bit more along the yeah we we need to be better stewards of everything we have our our hands on but i don't think like you know we're the ones causing so called climate change like as much as as uh you know some of the people who are advocates of it claim like that we need to to have these paris accords we have to have these carbon taxes and stuff uh but one thing i'd love if anyone listening to this, it applies to them is if we stopped using um, it was cold where I live today as, as the the reason for not believing uh, in, in uh, climate change, like, you know, there's some cold day in the middle of January in like um, Montana. And so we post our, our memes about how climate change is fake. Like to me, that's not, that's not the best um, defense you know, because I could say, you know, the opposite where, where I am down here in South America, where we have like extremely hot days. But anyway, that that's just my little pet peeve when I see the topic come up. Well, my oh. climate
1: change really is just the fact that, you know, when I was uh, much younger and Steve and Steve and I are about the same age, I'm not really sure how much, how old David is. But uh, when I was a kid, they were talking about we were going to be going through an ice age in 30 to 50 years, and we were reading it in our books um, that a mini ice age was coming. And they made movies that were fear mongering about that. Then all of a sudden, in the 90s it became about global warming, and of course, uh, Al Gore got a hold of it, and I think he released an Inconvenient Truth in what 2001, 2002, and then it just got kind of exploded from there. Um, and it became about, you know, oh, no, the world's going to end because the, the ice caps are going to melt and the glaciers are going to melt and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, well, that's become not very well proven because a lot of the climate stations were actually sitting in the middle of asphalt parking lots. And that's why they were actually like picking up increases in temperature. So then they changed it to climate change because they can't you know tell whether or not it's going one way or the other. Uh, and they're blaming it all on humanity. You know, honestly, uh, if you go out to a field of cows, they release more meth- methane and, and uh, carbon dioxide than a human can in a lifetime, you know. So I, I just don't think that that's really uh, uh, something that we are in control of, personally.
2: Yeah, if you look back historically at the vol- just the volcanic activity in the Earth over the last probably couple thousand years, there has been a lot more, CO2 and greenhouse gases released just from volcanoes than anything man has ever done to put uh, CO2 into the air. The the, the issues that I have with uh, climate change, number one, I have a solar hot water heater. And if I get to a place where I have enough money, I would like to buy enough solar panels where I could run my entire house off the grid and just run on solar. Um, I'm totally about solar energy. I live in Phoenix. So we have like 95 percent sunshine all year long thing that I have the biggest concern about with people who are pushing the things like the Paris Accord is they fail to look at all of the things that are going on with this. And one of the big things that concerns me is the carbon taxes are essentially a kind of a market that has been set up where a group of people are able to charge money to utilities and states and nations for how much CO2 they're putting into the air. And there's a profit incentive. Al Gore and his buddies have set this system up where they all get to profit off of the pollution that is being put out there. I have friends who live in Canada uh, who their electric bills are skyrocketing over the last couple of years because of the carbon tax that Canadians are being charged. There is this profit motive behind this whole thing that really bothers me. Anytime there's a profit motive, or something, I'm suspect. And you know, I, I know the argument that you know 95% of the uh, scientists agree that man-made climate change is real. Well, a lot of that uh, research is an astroturf. This is the same thing whether you talk about climate change, whether you talk about um, evolution and paleontology or biology or genetics. There are people who work in uh, colleges and universities who do research and The only way that you can get paid to do your research is if you have a theory that you're trying to prove. These universities rely on grants from the government and other agencies to do this research, and what they're trying to prove is they're trying to prove the theory of evolution, or they're trying to prove the link of fossil specimens all throughout the ages, or they're trying to prove that greenhouse gases are causing climate change. If if you blow up the narrative, if you ever poke a hole in and bring any evidence to the discussion that suggests that those theories are are BS, those people would lose their grants, they would lose their research funding, they would be out of work. And all the people who are doing research on these subjects have a vested interest in promoting that narrative because it's their bread and butter. It is their income. So, When you look at research and look at science and stuff, you you have to look at all of it and you have to ask yourself, do these people have a vested interest? What's their end game? Their end game is to put food on the table. and They they do that by doing this research and they count on that research to continue. So there's just a lot of things about this whole discussion that I'm a little bit suspicious about.
1: Well, there's a lot of things that are controlled by those two very, very, very powerful things in 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 our society, and that is money and power. You know, so you have the politicians who are pushing the narrative, um, not because they necessarily want the money, they want the power to control people's lives. And then you have the researchers and the scientists who rely on the grants and the financing from the government and private organizations and things like that that will not fund it unless it is actually like trying to prove the narrative that they believe. So, you know, um, anytime I've brought that up with some of my uh, environmentalist liberal friends, they usually get upset and they're like, well, explain to me why a poor scientist needs money. Well, that's exactly why. They need the money to continue financing their research. And those that are actually researching things that are not uh, global warming or evolution or whatever... Uh, are not even actually being financed. And that's one of the reasons why you have that 95-97% of people that agree uh, that global warming or climate change is real. Um, The scientists out there that are actually investigating other causes or other issues aren't actually included in that because they're not considered scientists by our government because they're not actually getting financing um, and grants, if that makes sense.
3: That and also the quote-unquote climate change deniers are being pushed out of the institutes right now. Like they'll they'll come and they'll bring um bring data that doesn't meet the agenda, and uh essentially they get they get pushed out. Like either they haven't made tenure, so they get fired, or they get bullied out of office. I've, I when I used to listen to a lot of talk radio, I heard constant stories about that. But also, you have to think of the agenda behind it. Why do politicians? Care so much about climate change? Why are they forcing so much money into the institutes to prove climate change is real? And and I mean, what's the end game basically? And I heard someone put it like this one time: If they can convince you that you are the problem, you can they, they can get you to do anything they want you to do, anything. So they're convincing humans that we're the problem that we're causing the climate change. And thus, they can make us basically do whatever they want us to do.
2: Well, you know, as libertarians, that the whole issue with government and, and larger, more expensive government is um, they want to take our tax money and make a big living off of it and bring their friends in and have them live off the tax money. And the only way government can really do that is to create problems and then create solutions. And that's the issue with socialism is It creates all these problems or points to problems or illustrates problems and then suggests that if we have these people, these organizations, agencies, we will come up with a solution. And it is in the the government's best interest to come up with as many problems and as many solutions as possible, even if it means manufacturing the problem.
1: That's kind of the issue in history is that people try to make up narratives so that they can fill the need uh yep. with something. It's like for example, you know, we've talked about this in the past and you know, I'm a uh red-blooded southern boy and so is Travis here. Um we've talked a little bit about the Civil War in the past and how, you know, um when you actually go back to the history of the Civil War era, um you actually had a war that was fought over tariffs and taxation, but about midway through the war when the north was losing, they converted it to a war about slavery so that they would get the humanitarian uh uh, I guess you could say, push for victory. Um, and so now the history of the war is remi- uh, remembered as a war of slavery. Um, the 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 cause was manufactured, and the history as a result is manufactured, and they filled a need um, by manufacturing that, if that makes sense.
3: And now the South will ever be branded as a racist because of that propaganda that was spewed.
1: And oh, it's but kind it- of it's kind of hilarious because when you look at Trump, you know, Trump is about as not racist as they come, honestly. I mean, he's not. Um,
2: he's, he's not. No one ever accused Trump of being a racist until he threw his hat in the ring.
1: And and it's, it's funny, you know, because like... It, all of this stuff that we have on television now, like, for example, one of the shows that I'm watching right now, and if you have not watched it, it is phenomenal. It is fantastic. It's on Hulu. It's called The Handmaid's Tale. Um, it is really, really, really good. However, that that story would not have been written um, or made if it was not for Trump being president because it's all about a patriarchal society and all the women are slaves and all this kind of stuff. and it's a really interesting story and it's kind of a, di- uh, a dystopic future um, uh, and, and it's just a really interesting uh, kind of story. But a lot of that stuff wouldn't have existed if Trump was not made president, if that makes sense.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you look at Hollywood and you section the parts of society that have political ideologies and Hollywood is big time liberal ideology, right? So the movies, the TV shows, and the speeches at the Grammys, everything coming out of Hollywood is painting Trump as a misogynist, homophobic, Islamophobic, um, you name it. Every bad word in the book. And it's, it's in the art, it's in the theater, in the movies. And which is why I'm, I mean, I, I cut the cable uh, a long time ago. I don't really watch TV or movies and stuff. But the little bit that I have seen, it's kind of crazy how these narratives are being brought forward to paint Trump as being some kind of monster.
1: And speaking of monster, um, we had a massive shooting that happened last week um, uh, or early this past week um, with a Bernie Sanders supporter actually going out and he had a kill list and he was actually pursuing to kill multiple Republicans that were part of the Freedom Caucus uh, and and those are people like Mike Lee, that's Rand Paul and uh a few of uh the other ones that are are pretty well known, you know, players in Washington. Uh and he actually managed to shoot one of them. I don't know if he actually killed him. I knew he was in um uh intensive care uh, as of a few days ago or yesterday.
2: He's, he's getting better. Uh the last update that I uh heard from his uh surgeon, the attending Doc, uh, is that his vitals have stabilized. Um, he is going to require more surgeries. So He'll require some rehab. But they're in, they're he's still in critical condition, but they're optimistic that his outcome will be good.
3: So wait, wait, wait. You said that the uh, Republicans were shooting the Democrats, right?
2: No. Uh, no.
3: <laughs> but, but Democrats don't believe in owning guns, though. I mean, how, how could they possibly own weapons of mass destruction if they don't believe in owning guns?
1: Weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> you know,
3: like
4: well, they need to they need to show Republicans just how dangerous guns are by and that, using them. And on, and that
2: became the narrative, didn't it, Steve? Right. <laughs> as soon as as soon as a, a, a Bernie supporter goes out and shoots what six or seven people, a couple of magazines, the Democrats go and start using this as you know evidence that we need more strict gun control in the same news cycle on the same day did you guys you guys probably didn't see this because it wasn't on CNN and New York Times and Washington Post but on the same day of the Scalise shooting i believe it was the same day it was within one day um two armed uh homeowners i think in georgia
4: right i know what you're getting at tracked
2: down two escaped convicts who were who had uh killed two prison guards escaped high-speed chase with police, crashed a car. Were in the process of stealing a second vehicle when the homeowners uh, spotted them, rat- chased them down, and held them at gunpoint until police got there.
4: Yeah, I've seen several people post that on uh, Facebook, oh. maybe, maybe mu- mutual friends even. I mean,
2: the, the whole thing, you know, you can take sides, whatever you want, on gun control. But if you look at FBI crime statistics, violent crime statistics, the number of gun-related homicides and violent crimes has continually decreased over the last 10 years, which is interesting because during the Obama administration, permits for concealed carry uh, handguns has, like tripled during Obama's administration. I think there were 4 million concealed carry permits in America in 2008, and I think there ended up being over 12 million when he got out of office. Uh, so we have a lot. We, we do have a lot more handgun. I mean, when he, every time Obama would get on the news and talk about uh, tightening handgun uh, gun restrictions and magazine capacities, um, all the handgun owners, uh, manufacturers would sell out. You couldn't get ammunition. Everything was being bought off the shelves. There are a lot more gun owners now, and there are a lot more registered concealed carry owners now. And handgun violence has gone down dramatically every year since then. So it's, well, not like, it's not like there's this correlation between more gun owners and more violence. It's actually going the opposite direction.
1: Well, Obama is the best gun salesperson after all. Uh, in fact, <laughs> I bought my pistol because of him, to be honest. Right.
4: I'm mm-hmm. I'm a bit of an anomaly amongst all the Canadians I know. Um, there's There's usually this kind of sanctimonious, like, well, you know, all that gun violence down there in the States because Americans have to have guns and i've you know lived with americans i've i've you know seen things and and learned points of view and and just even you know in more recent years done my research and um even yesterday I, I saw some video uh explaining um things like how many how many americans per capita own guns compared with uh you know how many um you know the the murder rate in in you know per capita and that basically places like, uh, I think the video, uh, I was watching, the guy said like Plano, Texas is like, you know, the most gun ownership in the world, um, in that city. And the, the murder rate is like 0. 0.4 people, uh, murdered for every 100,000 or something. Which and so probably the
2: idea... less than Canada. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, I hear all the time, like, uh, well the problem is you know you can just get your hands on guns so easily but then when you start looking at like the actual statistics of things like what the murder rate is in some area where there's like um conceal and carry laws uh or the you know you know these shootings and things that happen in places that are um you know don't have the uh, you know the the conceal and carry laws and stuff like for me it it's it's something where i i can i can see and appreciate um having a way to defend myself if if need be like i don't own a gun or anything um but the, the convenience store we go to a few blocks from our house um you know they get robbed every so often and and one time maybe two or three years ago uh it was a a brutal robbery and the the owner was shot and and spent weeks in the hospital and stuff and so you better believe he's got a he's got a you know like a handgun now and i've heard at least 3 occasions since where he's thwarted robberies by by pulling out his gun and and you know having having these guys scram, and part of me thinks like, well, I'm so glad he he has that. You know what I mean? Like my my logic doesn't go, well, if if you know if so many people didn't have guns, then we wouldn't have this problem. It's like no, that's not how it works. You know. But
1: the fact of the matter is is that people who don't follow the law are not going to follow the law and get a gun anyway. So you can make the laws all you want to about preventing gun violence. But all you're going to do is make it harder for people who are you know, responsible gun owners, people who want to own one legally, uh, to get one harder. I mean, I live in a pretty uh, gun-friendly area. And when I bought my pistol a few years ago, um, it honestly, I, I was able to go to the sheriff's department, get my pistol permit uh, and everything, my purchase permit within a few hours and was able to get a gun that night. Um, but it's not as easy as what everyone makes it out to be. I mean, you got to go through like background checks and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying they shouldn't have that. Um, but the fact of the matter is, uh, because of these liberal tactics, now it would take me about a week and a half to get a pistol. And I live in a very gun- Gun friendly environment. um So if I wanted to go buy another pistol, I have to go to the sheriff's department. I have to fill out the paperwork, then I have to wait a week and a half to get approved. Go pick up my permit, then go buy a pistol, which is kind of ridiculous.
3: I don't know what you're talking about, man. If guns were illegal, nobody could get them. Freaking marijuana is illegal and can't nobody get it. I mean, your logic is just all over the board. But no, no, no. I I, I totally echo what you're saying. And um, it takes you a week to get a pistol there? It did
2: for me. uh, My wife and I live in Arizona. And, you know, there's all this um, misinformation about, you know, gun show loopholes that you can go to a gun show and buy a gun without doing the background check. That is absolutely not true. Uh, My wife, we went to a gun show here and she bought a 357. And she had to go through the background check, had to have her concealed permit and then she could not pick it up for five days. If people think that you can get guns easily, uh, even in a state like Arizona, where we have um, concealed carry without a permit, uh, it's still, you have to go through all the hoops to get a gun, to buy one legally. It's not as easy as people think it is.
1: Yeah, North Carolina is about to go to the whole concealed carry without a permit kind of thing, which I'm kind of excited about that. I think that's awesome. but it will still take a week and a half, two weeks to get one just because you have to go through the the background checks and you have to wait till it gets approved and all that kind of stuff. Now, if I wanted to go buy a rifle, I could easily go get a rifle and have one in a few hours. Um, Not a problem. They don't regulate those like they do pistols. But it's funny because, you know, all the major shootings that have happened in the last few years are typically done by pistols, Uh, but yet everybody goes after the scary-looking assault rifle guns even though those aren't the ones that were actually perpetrators,
3: you, you know, uh, in that same vein, I've got to make a little rant right here. My state legislators have royally ticked me the crap off. The the you know you know the, the sheriff's department they get kickbacks from um, from our concealed carry permits. It takes about fifteen minutes. You know, it's pretty cheap, whatever. But we had constitutional carry on the table in the house. And these ex-law enforcement officers said, "No, no, that'd make it too dangerous." And I'm like, "I thought y'all swore to uphold the Constitution." Or, nah. I mean, I mean what? Anyways, that, that ticked me off. But yeah, yeah, it's um definitely easier than what y'all described in Alabama to, to get a, to get a pistol. It's about five minutes in the store.
1: Well, you know, I have a kind of strange view of the whole uh, right to bear arms thing. I honestly think, you know, there are a lot of weapons that are actually illegal for uh, normal citizens to own. But in my opinion, I think the right to, to bear arms means that we should be able to have the same arms that our military has. You know, absolutely. Uh, I don't necessarily think that we need to have nuclear bombs or anything like that. I think that's a little crazy. But disagree. Uh,
0: <laughs> well i'm just well, saying i
1: don't necessarily think it's a great idea you know because of some idiot down the street had one you know because of the the second amendment and it accidentally went off that would kill a bunch of people uh <laughs> but i i get that point i would say uh that i still think that it's uh i, I don't know why it has to be illegal to uh to buy fully automatic and things like that because a fully automatic versus a semi-automatic is not really that much different to be honest with you. And you can still get them as long as you get the class permits, the class a permits and all that kind of stuff. Um, But it's very difficult to get those. Um, But I just think that as a private citizen, we should have the right to get whatever kind of weapon that we want. um, if, If it's necessary to protect ourselves, because if our government does become a tyranny, then we're going to have to defend ourselves with uh, semi-automatics against fully automatics, and we're going to have to defend ourselves with semi-automatics against tanks and things like that. Which I hope to God that never happens. But if it does, we're not going to have uh, the protection that we need to fight the government um, when you know. Which is why the Second Amendment was written to begin with.
2: Can I just say Amen, brother? <laughs> well, and, and you're right. I mean. Nobody really wants to think of their neighbor having a howitzer in their driveway or, you know, an Abrams
1: sitting in their backyard.
2: On the other hand, on the other hand,
1: but that would what, be pretty awesome. what is
2: yeah. it would be cool. you got to admit. Yes. But the problem is, right, what is the purpose of the Second Amendment? It's not to give us guns so that we can hunt and put food on our table. It is a safeguard put in place so that if our government ever becomes uh, tyrannical, that we can overthrow our government and replace the leaders. And that's what the Second Amendment is for. It gives us the ability to replace a corrupt, tyrannical government. Well, yeah, I mean, if they have, uh, and you could even argue that the government doesn't actually have a constitutional right to have a uh, an army and an air force like we have the constitution sanctions a, a regulated militia really probably state militias made up of average citizens not a professional army the constitution actually probably would give us more something like what switzerland has where the government allows and provides for shooting ranges uh, ammunition and weapons for citizens um the citizens are expected to know how to use guns, and they don't have a standing army. They rely on their citizens, a well armed citizenry, to uh, take care of those issues. Um, so what what we've got in the states right now is not really, I don't think, what the founders of the Constitution uh, wanted.
1: I mean, all that tracks back to you know, and and I mentioned it earlier, you know, because I'm a, a civil war fanatic, but a lot of that tracks back to the civil war, to be honest, you know, because back then it was a citizen militia. There was a standing army, but the army was very, very small. The Civil War battalions and the actual state uh, militias were made up of private citizens that were pulled on um, in, in the time that their country and their state needed them. Um, and quite frankly, you know, back then, the army was just a really, really, really small force, you only, and the army was really the best of the best of the best. Um, but it wasn't meant to send people overseas to fight other people's wars. It was meant to protect our homeland and to protect our states. And the uh, the citizens, or the uh, I guess you could say the civilians, um, should have a working knowledge of how to actually handle guns and handle all this kind of stuff. Um, but all of that goes back to that history. A lot of our politics and a lot of our things that have actually taken place over the last 150, 200 years is a result of Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War. You know, a lot of the politics that we have today is all based on that. Now, I know it makes me sound kind of crazy, but I really believe that that's the case. And if you look into history, you would see what I'm talking about.
2: Um, Lincoln was kind of a tyrant in a lot of respects. Um, He went after the press, and he went after a lot of people. Uh, He was living in a very difficult time. And I think the time that we're living in right now is not all that uh, different from the time that led up to the Civil War. I'm seeing, that's what I'm concerned about. I'm very concerned that this movement to try to unseat, impeach, or kill a duly elected president is going to lead to civil unrest and possibly a civil war. If Trump gets assassinated, it is going to be a, we're going to be living in a very, very ugly time and but, that's that's my biggest concern right now
3: but wasn't there more legitimate threats against obama and nothing actually ever came of it like no, no really no
2: no and and the reason i say that is it's it's who is doing the talking okay the during well right exactly and here's here's the thing people have said oh you know people were burning obama in effigy and they were hanging uh, Obama in effigy, and there were all these other things going on during Obama's uh, time in office. That's all true. That all happened. I have friends who send me images, collections of images that portrayed violence against President Obama. That's all true. That happened. The difference is, the people who were doing that were people who were hiding in the corners of conservatism and and libertarian online communities. They were not mainstream, they were not well-known people. And when that stuff was brought to light, leaders, libertarian and conservative leaders, condemned it and said, it's inappropriate, that is not us, that's not who we are. So there was some anti-Obama sentiment during his term, no, no arguing about that, but it wasn't mainstream, it was fringe. And the problem with the anti trumps rhetoric now is it's mainstream. It is being propagated by CNN, New York Times, Washington Post. It's being propagated by the news anchors. It's being propagated by Hollywood. You can't listen to anybody from Hollywood talk about Trump without them hinting and suggesting he needs to be assassinated, that he was uh, not legitimately elected, that he needs to be overthrown, that he needs to be gotten away with. And this is mainstream in in the liberal... It's not in the corners, it's not in the fringes. This is in our face every day on social media.
1: Well, I totally agree with you. I mean the whole Caesar play where it depicted uh, uh, uh Trump being stabbed uh right. brutally stabbed, and people were cheering it and getting all excited about it and then you've got uh it's it's kind Kathy of Griffin. for the for the last eight years we've dealt with the left kind of lecturing uh, the right about being more respectful of the presidency and being more respectful of the man in office and the actual office itself and all of this jazz. And and now we've got uh, somebody that they did not like get elected, and all they do now is they talk about different ways that he could potentially die, uh, what would happen if he died. Uh, if you turn on CNN... Where MSNBC for any stretch of time, they literally devote about, you know, eighty to ninety percent of the time that they're televised talking about different things about Trump and how bad he is and all this kind of stuff. And and granted, like I said, I before the whole election thing, I was kind of terrified of Trump. Uh and I voted for him only because I just wanted to see the destruction of the political parties that we have <laughs> now. And I know that sounds <laughs> crazy. Um, But it's true. I mean, I honestly just wanted to see the Republican and the Democrat Party die so that we'd actually have multiple political parties rise in their place and actually go back to the constitutional republic that we're supposed to be, because that's not what we are. Um, And that's ultimately what my objective was. But being an outsider, watching, you know, looking at all of this stuff, um, I I think it's, it's terrifying to to think that this mainstream kind of uh cult of personality uh attacking uh a sitting president it, it is a dangerous thing and it can uh rile and uh i guess you could say militarize uh people who are not quite all there to go and attempt to make li- uh, make attempts on his life or attempts of his cabinet's life or and in the case of uh the the baseball shooter um, shooting up Republicans at a baseball practice, uh, I, I think, honestly, that's that's a kind of a dangerous precedent we're setting.
2: My concern is that the mainstream media is trying to normalize violence against conservatives. And that's a harsh statement. But if you look back at what has been going on in the mainstream media, and you look at the Kathy Griffin, gross pictures of Trump's head hanging there and bloody, this sort of thing it is a slow creeping they're trying to push this acceptance and normalization of the idea that it is okay to vilify someone like trump because hey he's a nazi hey he is a villain it's okay if we do this stuff because he's a horrible despicable person there aren't any good trump voters as one headline said not too long ago the mainstream media is publishing these articles and headlines Trying to get through into the, their base that it is okay to hate and vilify these people because they're monsters, because they are Nazis, because they are uh, you know anti-Semites or whatever it is that you know uh, homophobic, Islamophobic. but in order to legitimize violence against conservatives, first you have to dehumanize them, and that's what they're doing now. they're dehumanizing conservatives, they're making scalice look like another version of trump he's hitler he's a nazi he's a white supremacist and so it's a two-pronged attack first the media is trying to dehumanize conservatives and then it is normalizing violence against them and that's what i've been seeing in my dreams god's been giving me dreams over the last two or three months showing increasing violence against conservatives and what i'm really concerned about is this normalization of violence uh demonization, it concerns me. Um I, I think we're only seeing the beginning of it, and I am praying that it will stop and reverse and people will come to their senses and realize they are being manipulated by the news.
3: Well, and you know what pisses me off most about that is the right won't say anything to defend themselves for fear of being called a racist or a bigot or a homophobe. Eventually the normal average everyday Republican Joe that goes to work. Is gonna get fed up with that kind of crap, and as I heard one guy put it, we're really nice until we're not, and then we're then we're pretty vicious. Uh, that's why you know I've I've been looking at a little bit of the alt right stuff. I am not alt right, I but uh, they're easier to condemn than the leftists are. Like if you looked at the Southern Baptist Convention, they just condemned the alt right as a racist hate group. They didn't condemn any of the you know the antifas or any of them kind of people, but you know, they, they made a point to, you know, point out to point zero two percent of the population that they're bad. And I'm wondering when average Americans are just gonna get tired of the bull crap that we're being, you know, basically have our have shoved down our throats. You know, I, I I'm not alt right,
2: but I have friends who are. <laughs> when I got Me on when, when I got on Twitter and not actual, you know, personal friends, just people that I know on social media. I'm doing some live streaming on uh, Periscope, like what we're doing now. We do like we call it 3D or 4D chess, where we'll do a Periscope show that's two or three or four different hosts, and we're all talking together. And one of the guys is definitely alt-right. He is into 4chan and Reddit, and he is into the memes that that, that conservatives have been coming up with to help drive their narrative to. The you know the alt right viewpoint out into the open, but like I said, I'm not alt right. I just hang out with some people who happen to be. But I have a lot of friends who are liberals, a lot of friends that are con- libertarians, and I have people from all over. But you're right. I I would agree that the problem with conservatives is, and this is what you see in the Senate, and, and it's an it, it is an attitude. that's kind of fostered by the Republicans in the Senate. They're just kind of setting the tone. They're trying to be gentlemanly. They're trying to be you know, following good Christian values, turn the other cheek, don't retaliate. And a lot of these, like the Antifa and a lot of these community organiz- organizers are bringing some, a lot of violence against conservatives. You've been seeing it right after the election. There were all these riots and protests. And conservatives will sit back and just take it. Uh, I mean, now the alt-right has not sat back and take it. So you have guys like Baked Alaska and Bass Stickman and all these other alt-right guys going out there with their helmets and their sticks, and they're going up against Antifa, and they're having these fights, which to me is just childish. I mean, that's that doesn't solve anything. That just throws kerosene on the fire. But at some point, conservatives need to push back against this and say, "Look, you, this has gone too far. People have been shot. Are you? Are you? When are you going to stop? How many people are going to die before this?" Um, anti-conservative movement goes back in the other direction. It has to stop. And conservatives are not doing anything. For the most part, they're sucking it up and they're taking it. They're not pushing back. And that frustrates me. And I don't know what the answer is, but except last night, I kind of came up with an answer. What God has been showing me through a lot of the dreams I've had in the last six months is that as Steve Bannon and President Trump correctly said, the media is the enemy of the American people. And the, and the reason why they say that is the mainstream media is an outlet that is controlled for political purposes and has an agenda. And it is brainwashing the American people into thinking that violence is OK, that violence is a solution, that, hey, we're facing Nazis. So violence is a, is a normal, is an, is an acceptable response. That's being pushed by the media. The media is brainwashing people. So what God has been showing me is he is raising up an alternative media. People like you and I, who are doing podcasts, who are doing Periscope, who are doing Facebook Live video, God is raising up an army of people who are providing an alternate narrative to what MSNBC and CNN and the New York Times is putting out. I have, since I started doing Periscope, a couple of months ago, starting out very small, and hardly anybody knew I was doing it. Just in the last week, I've done a couple of Periscope videos where I'm helping people understand what is going on with the Comey investigation, and Jeff Sessions and his hearing, and what's going on inside the deep state and the Department of Justice and the FBI investigations. I have gotten so many people sending me messages and commenting, saying, thank you for providing uh, information that counters what the mainstream media is talking about, because we're, we're confused. We don't know who to believe. We don't know what to believe. There's nobody out there telling us the truth. So what God is doing in this season right now is he is raising up alternative sources of information, people who are doing live streaming video, who have a different take on what this is all about. And I'm, I'm glad to be connected to you guys, because, This is exactly the thing that God is going to use to take down the mainstream media narrative. People are going to eventually turn off CNN and and even Fox is becoming kind of uh, ridiculous at the way that they're presenting a lot of information. What the Lord has shown me is that there is this war going on between the mainstream media and the Trump administration. I think the president is going to win this war. I think the mainstream media is going to look like absolute fools when this is all over with. Their credibility is going to be shot. If you look at what happened during the Comey hearing, all the mainstream media outlets were all sitting on edge, waiting for James Comey to nail Trump, to, to just put the nail in the coffin. And all Comey did was indict himself. And it left kind of a bitter taste in the mouth. We find out that Trump wasn't under investigation, even though the mainstream media has been telling everybody for about the last year that Trump is under investigation. What we learned in the hearing was he, n- he never was under investing. And because the mainstream media has all these false narratives that they're pushing, the more we have these public hearings, the more people are going to realize, wow, these guys have been lying to us the whole time. If people are willing to go out there and do podcasts and live streaming video and tell the truth about what's happening, Mr. And Mrs. John Q. Public will tune in and listen to you
4: right well, even just to, just to chime in in a more esoteric kind of way and not the specifics of what you said uh my my mom was just visiting us, and we watched like Netflix every night and there was some uh Michael Keaton movie about the uh the priests' scandal I forget what that movie was called the uh the Boston Globe or whatever that broke the story about the uh, all these priests in um in in that area that were abusing children and whatnot. And there was a line somewhere towards the beginning of the movie where, or, you know, someone was talking to the other and said, like, there used to be a time where journalism wasn't profitable. It was this honorable um, thing, you know, de- you know, decades earlier or whatever, that people, uh, they felt it was their, their moral obligation, their, their, you know, it was an honorable thing to let the public know the truth, you know? And I remember that, line or that dialogue whatever whatever the exact thing was uh jumping out at me because you you really couldn't say that now and and if you do then it doesn't apply to like the news channels on TV and and even big websites and stuff but a lot more to uh you know lone rangers or these people who you know they 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 make videos on the internet they do um you know their their blogs and stuff it applies more to that and so uh, I, I guess from that, I sort of have a question for you, uh, uh, David. Um, what do you say to someone who says, so like, well, who are you amongst the, the, you know, the many faces in the crowd who just has a has a video, has a webcam, has a keyboard, um, you know, why why believe what you say is the truth or, or the research you say you've been doing? Like, how do you answer? Um, I, I'm sure you get questions like that. So how do you? I don't. You don't, get, you don't answer, or you no. don't get asked.
0: No, I don't
2: get asked much.
4: Oh,
0: um,
2: okay. I, I really don't because when I do my broadcast on Periscope, I I do my broadcasts a little bit like the way I write my books. I'm taking complex ideas, like who are all these people in the Senate Judiciary Committee, and who are these people on the Senate Intelligence Committee, and how are they connected to the Department of Justice and the FBI, and who has oversight and. Now, how does this affect, all right, so a lot of concepts that people are not familiar with, what I do is I explain to them who these people are, what their relationship is to departments they're doing oversight, uh, what rules need to be followed, what we can expect. I give them a little bit of, you know, if I have had a dream about it, I explain what God has shown me in dreams. And because I'm explaining things to them in layman's terms, And that's not something they get from CNN and New York times and MSNBC. And a lot of these people have been following me on Facebook or on my blog for five or six years. I've already built some credibility and some trust with them for, for some of them. The, the trust is already there because they've read my books. So they've read my articles for some of them, they're new and they're listening to what I'm saying and they're like, yeah, that makes sense. I totally get that that that's what I'm seeing, too, but you explained it really well. I've done my homework. I I don't always refer to my own stuff. I have a friend named Adam Gingrich, uh, John Wick of Politics. He will do two Periscopes a week, and he is a political insider. So he's been a staffer on the last fourth Republican presidential campaign. He has worked in the Pennsylvania State Legislature as a staffer. He has written legislation. He has always been in politics his whole life. He has a lot of connections to people inside in Washington. He has people who are in the DOJ. He has people that are FBI agents. There's a lot of friends who are former or current intelligence officers. So he is well connected to people and he has good sources. And I often refer people to his periscopes and he refers people to mine. We kind of tag team back and forth. The other thing is if you follow my, if you've been following my periscopes over like the last two or three months, I haven't been wrong much on what I put out there. Um, Much of what I have said has actually come to pass either within 24 hours or within a week. Some of the prophetic revelation hits very quickly. Some of it takes a little time to develop. But I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to do my best to talk about what I know from my own. I do a ton of research. I read dozens of articles a day. I'm paying attention to people like adam who do a lot of research themselves he is doing you know 12 13 hours of research a day on these subjects i don't know i just kind of fell into this i fell into this situation in this political governmental realm where god was giving me revelation about it he connected me to some people who are knowledgeable and i just started sharing this information and I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought, okay, maybe I'll do this for a couple of weeks. Well, it's becoming like a long-term assignment for me. And it's a bit weird because I'm used to writing about healing and seeing in the spirit and traveling in the spirit and all that stuff. And now my life has just been kind of flipped upside down and I'm all of a sudden becoming like a political correspondent. It's because it's because God has, been, has given me this assignment. And the other thing is people are listening and they're tuning in and following me. Because I think God has, um, God has given them a hunger for what I'm saying. Like when God gives you an assignment to do something like this, he gives you the audience. He gives you grace. There's a favor on it. And so he's connecting me to people who are looking for the information. If I was doing something that wasn't my assignment, it wouldn't be going this well. Um, if I was you know, doing this on my own and God wasn't really porting me in doing this. I wouldn't have an audience for it or or the audience wouldn't really be connecting with my message but the people are connecting with it really well they like it and they're asking for more of it and I'm sitting here going wow I could almost do this every day but I don't know if I have the time Steve and it's a long explanation but that's kind of how I see this thing has evolved over the last few months
4: Sounds good I think if you remember the time I reshared your post about uh, your you know your uh not your post your Podcast about Donald Trump. Yeah, uh, well I mean a particular one that I, right. I,
2: I remember. I remember that one. The one and where I kind of broke down his personality type
4: Exactly, and w- what lured me into listening to it, I don't remember if it was like September or October, but it was still enough time to go that um, you you know it, it, it's a bit risky to conclusively say, yeah, this guy's going to be the next president. Just watch and See, um, I I consider myself uh, not a history buff, but I I pay attention to and read a lot of things or whatever listen to a lot of things about the second world war and you were talking about uh Neville Neville Cham- Chamberlain and uh uh the next guy Churchill Churchill I don't know why I couldn't think of his name and mm-hmm. um you know and how like nobody liked Churchill I mean his history has been a lot nicer to him than how you know his contemporaries viewed him at the time and stuff and you were you were you were talking about things that like I knew about so like you had my attention and i could like listen and, and hear you out and so you know i i think you do a very good job taking these ideas and making them simple you know like in in general you're very good at that with with the things you write about no matter the topic and um and so that was kind of like eye opening for me to just think of it this way you know and uh, so i put that on on facebook and and told people to check it out and um and so i was just i was just curious if like you have people who are like well who is this praying medic guy that <laughs> is like I, I didn't know if you were if you just had a lot of people who you know like you said you've already built that credibility and trust if those are the people who are getting the most out of what you say or if you're getting like new audience or if you have people out there who are like the opposite point of view uh, as you are and you know well who is this guy that i should listen to what he says you know just some guy yeah. sitting at his computer in phoenix or you know so i just I'm surprised you don't hear that. I thought you maybe you might now.
0: <laughs> I'll
2: tell you what, it is, it's been crazy. Um, even though I have a large following on Facebook and on my blog, I have gotten almost zero negative feedback on the political things I've posted. Um, I'm getting a lot of positive feedback. I'm getting a lot of people who are very grateful for me you know, explaining all this stuff. And quite a few people are tagging their friends into the the things that I post. Hey, you know, to take somebody. This is a guy I was telling you about. Listen to his message. I was kind of scared when I started doing this, thinking I'm going to get a lot of negative feedback. My book sales are going to drop off like a rock. People are going to start, there would be a lot of negative reaction, but it's been the, exactly the opposite. It's been very positive. The last week, especially, people have said, Wow, I didn't know you were into politics at all. I read, you know, three or four of your books. I'm so glad you're into politics. This is great. There has been a lot of positive feedback. And what I see is that this is an we're we're just in a season in God's economy where governmental issues and political issues are a big deal. I mean, look at what happened in Venezuela. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody could speak to the Venezuelan people and give them some hope about what's happening down there? It's going on a lot of different places. Look what's happening in the UK with uh, the Brexit. And they have a hung parliament. And look what's going on in Europe. Governmental leadership and the failures of government and leaders is a huge issue. And people are concerned. They're worried. They want someone to come out and, and tell them, look, here's here's what God is saying. Steve, I know you shared the video that I posted about Dutch Sheets that he talked about government about a week or two ago. If you listen to that message from Dutch Sheets where he talks about God being the lawgiver, he is a legislator. Him being the judge, he is the judicial branch. And he is a king, he is the executive branch. And that our government in the United States was built on that model. Why we have a judiciary, a legislative branch, and executive branch? Because it's modeled after the government of, of God. What I think that God is really trying to do is he is trying to help people understand that his kingdom, government, was given to us as a model. And he wants to rule and reign over our individual nations through government, through people who create laws, who sit on courts, and who rule with executive power in a way that honors the nature of God and his kingdom.
4: Um, But just so you know, sometimes on Twitter, the things I'm sharing from you, I might not have checked out yet. Cause I I have some app that I'm using through my website that um, auto tweets Uh and and I can post from websites I want and retweet certain like, you know, specific uh, accounts. And so like yours is one of them. I don't, uh, I don't repost every single thing, but yours is like on my queue for sources it it pulls from. So sometimes if if you haven't haven't
2: listened to that video by Dutch Sheets, you should definitely listen to it. I think it would really will inspire and encourage you. He does a great job of talking about the government of God and how our uh, our nation's founders went through all this wrangling and difficulty in writing the Constitution and the and the Declaration of Independence and how they formed our nation based on their perception of God's kingdom. It's, it, it's, an, it's a fascinating video.
4: Right. Well, I'm just saying that to say um, you're among the few people who like, I just auto post <laughs> your, your content without right. having seen it, you know, right. knowing it'll be some good oh, stuff. I
2: appreciate That, that it, just means you trust me.
1: Yeah, if I do. It, it, uh, makes you feel pretty good there. Uh, David, uh, he doesn't repost my stuff. So,
4: <laughs> but you
3: don't, you don't post a lot of stuff. He does well, repost mine because I have awesome memes.
4: Yeah. I, I repost <laughs> Travis's memes. That's all you post there, Travis,
1: is memes.
3: Well, it's because <laughs> if I post anything serious, I get, you know, all attacked and crap, and I'm like, I'm done with this bull junk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing you said just a minute ago, David, was you were talking about how you believe that God wants to use the government to govern kind of from God's kingdom perspective, and and I do believe that there is no one in authority um, lest they are put there by God. Um I, I don't necessarily think that, uh, that God's kingdom is based on the American government or the American government is totally based on that. I think, honestly, I, I would have a problem with um, government being based on Christian ideals because man is imperfect and man misinterprets uh, uh, things and it can get out of hand when they interpret things. So um I do believe that God wants us to be subject to our governmental authorities and and follow the laws uh according to uh, our conscience so to speak um you know obviously uh we're supposed to do that that's what the bible tells us to but I do have a problem with you know I guess you could say the government being a christian or a uh, an entity controlled by the church especially with so much uh in the way of like Freemasonry involved and all of that kind of stuff that's involved in the upper echelon of our of our government, and uh, I get kind of nervous with that kind of stuff
2: yeah and that's that's uh, understandable, and i don't believe that the government of the United States is supposed to be a Christian institution that we should be enforcing a biblical worldview on the people of our nation that, that's not at all what I would be suggesting. I tend to view. My faith more from a kingdom viewpoint and not a church viewpoint. So, I don't believe that the true manifestation of God's nature and character and will in the earth is uh, necessarily through what the institution we call the church. I believe it's supposed to be instituted through the kingdom, which is a completely different concept. And, you know, the reformers, I think, and throughout the history, We've kind of taken Christianity and made it this institution with denominations. I don't think that was God's plan. Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, talked about His kingdom. He never really talked about the church, not the way we talk about it. And um, I guess what I'm, what I would say, is that our government, if it is wise, governs justly, governs fairly governs with equity toward all without malice without corruption without ill intent toward anyone that it is it's really just expresses the nature of god which is justice and equity and fairness benevolence and if our leaders would govern with benevolence and fairness and justice and goodwill Toward the people that they're governing, things would go very well. That if those were the precepts that our judges and our, and our senators and congressmen had in their hearts, when, regardless of whether you were Muslim or Christian or atheist, you would trust your government because they would be governing with fairness and equity and justice toward you, and you wouldn't care if they, you know, were Christian. Um, that's that. That's what I see. The ideal government is being is one that is benevolent and good and not evil and corrupt and self-serving.
1: Well, I totally agree with that, uh, David. I I just misunderstood what you were saying. I don't, I don't necessarily think that it should be a, uh, what do they call it, a uh, theocracy?
2: Not, not a theocracy. Well, a theocracy is where God is sort of the govern, is the king, like Israel was back in the days of Moses. They were supposed to be a theocracy. They were led by God.
1: Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with us needing to be a theocracy. Uh, I I just, in my opinion, I think um, it is just like what you said, that the government governs fair and equitably across the board um, and that they don't play favorites with one over another um, and that everyone has equal justice under the law, whether you're white, black, purple, green, yellow, whatever, um, and that you are... uh, You get the same recognition under that law as what everybody else would get, even if you're Christian, Muslim, or whatever. Um, I've said this time and time again on the podcast that uh, I think you know, like for example, government should not be involved in marriage, uh, which that's a whole can of worms right there. Uh, I don't believe they should be involved in marriage. I don't believe that they should be involved and a lot of things that they stick their hands in, and as a result of them sticking their hands in it, it's caused them to play favorites, um, which, going back to a topic we talked about earlier, climate change, um, they've picked favorites because that's their favorite narrative, and that's the problem that I have, I guess you could say, with the government.
2: Amen. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, and that's what everybody wants out of the government, right? Really, unless you're a jihadist, in which case, you probably want the government to be something like what they have in um, in the Middle East. Uh, those people aside, most people want a government that is fair and equitable, treats everyone, you know, with equal dignity and respect under the law. There, that no one is favored, and that um, the government isn't corrupt. That it does the right thing. Uh, I think that's what most people want,
3: except for communist. <laughs>
1: So oh,
3: well. there's not really a place in civilized society for them.
1: And and speaking of the whole Antifa thing that you were mentioning earlier there, Travis, I decided to actually do a Google search for Antifa because I wasn't quite sure exactly what it was. I've heard it, um, but I didn't really actually do a whole lot of research on it. And the imagery that's around that organization is pretty crazy. They're commies. Well, they are,
3: they're, there's see, no qualms about
0: it.
2: You know what the real funny thing is about Antifa? So they um, they take their name from a- a- anti-fascists, uh, right? So they claim to be against fascism. And then you look at what you look at what they're doing. You look at their behavior. You look at how they show up, and uh, they create violent protests. Where really, what they're trying to do now, in this last six months, they're trying to shut down. People like Milo Yiannopoulos and Ann Coulter, who Ann Coulter is really a libertarian. She's not, she's not even a conservative. And you can tell that by the way Ann Coulter gets hot and cold on Trump. Whenever Trump is embracing something that is a distinctly libertarian viewpoint, Ann Coulter is totally behind the president. When he is doing something that is not in the interest of most libertarians, she is slamming him like crazy. So, um, but Antifa what, they're, what they've been mainly concerned with is shutting down these speakers who want to go to places like Berkeley and talk about free speech. Milo's Milo Yiannopoulos, his big thing is, and he's called an alt-right provocateur, but really Milo's main message is free speech for everyone, regardless of your viewpoint, regardless of your religious perspective, regardless of your sexual orientation. He doesn't care. He believes everyone should have a right to free speech. You say what they want, when they want, where they want. And he is being opposed by Antifa, who claim to be anti fascist. Okay? What is one of the hallmarks of fascism? Fascism does not allow you to have free speech. So, this group that thinks they're being anti fascist is actually acting like a fascist organization, which to me just makes me scratch my head and think people, what are you doing?
3: Well, they're acting just like the, uh, what was it, the Bolsheviks over in, over in uh, Russia when they overthrew the Borgias and uh, basically installed Lenin as their, their supreme leader. They're, they're just causing havoc, and it's right out of the communistic playbook, which is exactly why they do not belong in a civilized society.
2: No, I agree with you.
1: Well, and to be fair, fascism doesn't involve, uh, doesn't uh, belong in a civilized society either. You know, it's, it's unfortunately both sides of the coin are equally bad. Um, I don't know why they put fascism on the far right. It's more of an authoritarian kind of thing.
3: Um, Well, and it's for fascism. The authoritarian is, uh, if you've seen the, uh, the political spectrum, it's that cube grid or whatever that a lot of people share on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, Fascism is far right all the way to the top. Uh, so you're highly authoritarian, but you're very right. You're very conservative in what you actually believe. Whereas you have the far left totalitarian such as Stalin Mao. So fascism like fascism in and of itself isn't that bad of a concept because it does hold to to conservative values. However, dictators suck. That's the reason I oppose fascism. Not not because, like, okay, if you look at what Putin's doing, I'm not going to call Putin a fascist or anything, but he definitely has some very fascist leanings where he he basically outlawed homosexuality in Russia, or at least the outward display of it. And uh, granted, he's Eastern Orthodox, but he's allowed the EO to, you know, come in and establish, you know... Have more free reign, I guess you could say. And he's basically called America a bunch of degenerates because of the way we're acting. Two cents. It, it is
2: interesting. I, I watched a video uh, of Putin talking about one of the problems of homosexuality. And his concern is that as you normalize homosexuality, you run the risk of coming to a zero population growth. And you kind of destroy your, your gene pool and your ability to procreate and make your society. And look, that's happening in a lot of countries in Europe. People are not having children. And that in this short video that Putin uh, was talking about, that was his concern, was that all these strange theological and ideologies were going to destroy the ability for, for societies to continue growing like they need to.
1: Well, and it's pretty sad when you've got people that are americans red blooded Americans that are actually celebrating a Russian leader <laughs> I mean that's kind of like a reverse world to be honest
3: I'm not gonna lie he's 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 pretty dank right now i mean <laughs> he, he's definitely a lot better than the last leader that we had you know uh,
1: well and and you know he's done some crazy things and he is extremely creepy um you know there's a lot of creepiness around him. Anytime I see him on TV, like I literally see like my creep meter goes up pretty high, but with his attacks on ISIS and things like that, you know, I, I actually, even though I'm anti-war, um, I would love to destroy the, the cockroaches that, uh, is out there like causing terror in the world. Um, But I don't necessarily want more war. I wish there was a better way to actually handle that kind of thing. Which brings me to the next topic, and then we're going to wrap up. Uh, Apparently, um, al-Baghdadi was killed yesterday in an airstrike, uh, presumed to be killed. Um, Of course, we all know that what's ultimately going to happen is that somebody's going to rise up to power that's probably going to be even worse than al-Baghdadi. Um, but the fact is is that uh, a U.S. military strike was actually responsible for taking the guy out. What were your thoughts on that?
3: Um, good. I mean, granted, I don't want to be involved over there anyways, but here's my question. Why are we going to fund ISIS and then kill ISIS? Shouldn't we just not fund them, then we don't have to kill them later?
2: I, I think that's the plan. Sorry. I don't. I don't believe we're funding ISIS right now. We were. I mean, there's, there's... Well, yes,
3: we we definitely were. I and mean, every time, right. like, if you look at all these all these things that we funded, Al Qaeda, ISIS, uh, Hamas, it's all came back to bite us in the rear end. Well, so just we, not funding. We, are
1: funding. we are funding ISIS because we're giving, we're selling a bunch of weapons to Saudi Arabia, and they're a big ally, so to speak. But they're also a big funder of terrorism uh in the Middle East. We've also given money to uh I think it, it what Qatar. is it? Qatar. Qatar, yeah. And they are a big financer of uh terrorism. And all of that stuff is getting back into the hands of these morons that are actually attacking our people and spreading out and murdering Christians, um and and you know, peaceful Muslims and and people in general just for not agreeing with their crazy uh ideology Um, but the fact of the matter is is we are financing them and we need to stop it and trump is actually continuing in that same pattern by giving more weapons to the middle east when we should be stopping that altogether
2: i mean you're you're right we have been funding terrorism for a long time so when you go back to oh gosh uh bush 41 and you could argue during the reagan administration Okay, the deep state took over, and as Wesley, General Wesley Clark uh, pointed out, during the early 90s, the deep state put in place a policy coup, a foreign policy coup, where the Defense Department and the State Department and the intelligence community essentially co-opted the federal government and decided that our foreign policy was going to be uh, regime change in Africa and the Middle East. And they outlined they you know, identified seven countries that they were going to take over in five years. And so we went over, and for the next, I don't know, ever since the early nineties, you know, twenty-five years or so, we have been in the Middle East, in Libya, in Syria, in North Africa and the Middle East, we our policy has been to topple dictators and and it was all based on russia okay it was it was after the fall of the berlin wall and for what 30 40 years foreign policy all of our foreign policy was focused on taking down the soviet union and after the fall of, of the berlin wall and the soviet union was dismantled the state department and the and the defense department didn't know what to do they didn't know what our foreign pol- what was our comprehensive foreign policy we didn't have one. So what they decided in the in the Defense and State Departments, they decided, we are going to make sure that those nations in the Middle East and North Africa that have any possibility of being uh, having any allegiance to the former Soviet Union, mostly Russia, they were going to make sure that that didn't happen. And they were going to topple every king and leader and dictator that had any allegiance to Russia and put in puppets who would be who would build an allegiance to the United States to our interests. So that is the foreign policy that has been going on in the Middle East and, and Africa for the last twenty-five years.
1: Okay. Well, and as a result of that, we've put in office Gaddafi, who was a dictator. Right. We put him in office. We put uh, what's his face, Bashir, in yep. office in Syria. We yep. put. Um, uh, Saddam Hussein in Iraq um, we elevated basically uh, even though we didn't have direct influence on it it was our fault uh, as to why Iran became uh, radicalized we,
2: we created all the problems in the Middle East
1: we created it and we're continuing to create more and more problems I, I, because now I, we're
2: dis- I disagree with the fact that we're creating more problems I don't think we are and here's here's where I, I take exception to the narrative that Trump is just following the deep state policy the, the 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 toppling dictator thing that's that is not at all what Trump is trying to accomplish if you you have to listen to what he's been talking about when he was campaigning he campaigned on we're going to bomb the hell out of ISIS we're going to take out ISIS we're going to get rid of ISIS and we're going to end terrorism okay so that and you have to remember Trump is not a politician. He wasn't just saying this to get elected. Trump has done everything so far that he has promised to do. He's been getting he's been following through on every one of his campaign promises. One of his big ones was bomb the hell out of ISIS, get rid of ISIS, cooperate with any nation that is interested in helping us get rid of ISIS. Okay? Which means that Trump is trying to make a coalition of nations that has the sole focus of getting rid of ISIS and Hezbollah and uh, Hamas and any other Islamic terrorist group that is out to kill people. And when he went over to the Saudi Arabia and did his talks, and he talked to these nations, uh, 50 different Arab nations, he told them to their face, look, this violence has to end. This terrorism has to end. It is not acceptable. It cannot continue. And we will work with you. And we will help you build uh, your nation. But you are going to have to work with us. And we are going to have to stop funding terrorism. And we're going to have to uh, put an end to it. And what happened a week after Trump went to Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia immediately labeled Muslim Brotherhood, al-Nusra, and, uh, and ISIS in, uh, as terrorist organizations. They told all of their Saudi nationals, if you're fighting with any of these organizations, you have 15 days to come back into the country and we're closing our borders. Next thing that Saudi Arabia did was they um, cut off diplomatic relations with Qatar because Qatar is heavily involved in funding terrorism. Now, I'm not going to say I, uh, that Saudi Arabia hasn't funded terrorism. They have. They, they definitely have. They have been spending a lot of money funding terrorist organizations. But within the last month, that has changed. And Saudis have taken a complete 180 position from how they used to look at terrorism. Because look, this is what Trump told them. He said, what is going to happen if you continue supporting ISIS and, and all these other terrorist organizations? After they kill, the people in the other countries they're going to come here and they're going to kill you and they're taking over your country if you continue to support them you are going to end up being killed by the people you're supporting this is insanity you have got to stop doing this we will help you we will help you but you have to cut off your funding so what i what i believe trump has done is he ha- he red-pilled the saudis and made them realize They have got to change their allegiance. And look, he said, "Look, you know, we'll we'll sign a contract with you, three hundred and fifty billion dollars worth of military hardware. We'll help you build your own military, so that you can take care of your own business." What Trump is trying to do in the Middle East, he's trying to build a coalition: Saudi, United Arab Emirates, um, Egypt, other uh, Arab nations, who can take care of their own. Uh, problems with violence with their own military and not drag us into all of their wars. So, the the struggle that's going on right now with Qatar and the United Arab Emirates and Saudi is over funding terrorism. There is a there is a huge schism right now because mainly because Qatar they have political interests and ties to Iran that are very deep. The, the, the natural gas field, that Qatar, Qatar is the largest exporter of natural gas in the world. The entire war in Syria and, and all the bombing that's been going on simply was there in place to push a natural gas pipeline through Syria to, to Turkey and into southern Europe. That was all that's all about. Uh, the Qataris and the Saudis gave billions of dollars to Hillary Clinton and Obama to get this war going in Syria so they could get rid of Assad. They could put somebody in, in his place who would, be, uh, would allow a pipeline to go through Syria. Okay? That didn't happen, and it's not going to happen. Putin is not going to let it happen. He wants the Russian pipeline to go through to Southern Europe, and that's probably what's going to happen. But the issue with, with Qatar is Qatar is still the largest exporter of natural gas in the world. And they have this huge gas field, and half of it is owned by Iran. And Iran and Qatar have a lot of diplomatic relations and, and political relations. And, and Qatar, if they break relations with Iran and side with Saudi Arabia, they're at risk of suffering uh, some negative consequences from Iran. So Qatar is in a very difficult spot. They have reasons to be friendly with Iran, and they have other reasons to be friendly with Saudi Arabia. And so there's this, there's this tug of war going on right now over what's going to happen with Qatar. But, but I think, I, I think what's going to happen is Trump is going to put enough pressure on those Middle Eastern nations to stop funding terrorist organizations to help get rid of them. And, and eventually, what I would like to see happen is you have something like NATO, but in the Middle East, they all contribute to a mutual defense fund that will help stabilize the Middle East. And here's the interesting thing with Israel. Israel is now siding with Saudi Arabia because Saudi is taking a strong anti-Iranian view. So if Israel cooperates with Saudi and Qatar and United Arab Emirates and Egypt against Iran, that could create a very strong military political influence that would weaken Iran and cripple them and Trump just a couple days ago is now putting more sanctions on Iran. You're gonna see Iran weaken and you're gonna see Saudi Arabia become stronger. But in order for you know, if, if Saudi is gonna become stronger, they're gonna to have to play along with Trump. And Trump is going to force them to stop funding terrorism. So anyway, that's that's what I see going on. It, it, yes, they have been funding terrorism for a long time. I think you're gonna see that end
3: so here's my question if we're if we're over there fighting terrorists, the reason that we have terrorists that hate the United States is because we kill people I and mean, obviously if we're trying to kill terrorists but essentially what I'm talking about here is blowback um ron paul ron paul you know he uh he brought this up in 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 a lot of uh in a lot of the uh congress hearings aren't we afraid of blowbacks? Creating more terrors by bombing more people I mean wouldn't if We we as the United States Left the crap alone And let the people over there Sort it out wouldn't that be a better uh, Better solution
2: Well And this is where you have some Significant ideological Differences between Rand Paul and Ron Paul The classic libertarian Viewpoint of Non-expansion non-military Involvement we just need to take care of our own stuff and let other nations fight their own wars, and we need to remain detached from that. That's that's one perspective, and that's one that's held by a lot of libertarians. And when they see pre, uh, the president signing weapons deals with Middle Eastern nations, they get freaked out about that because they just think, oh, well, you know, here we are. We're going to be keeping ourselves involved in Middle Eastern wars that we have no business being in.
1: Explain to me why we signed a deal with Qatar, if Qatar is also a financier of terrorism. That
2: one I do not understand. That came out of left field We just signed a $15 billion agreement with Qatar to buy F-15s, and and the thing is, I don't know. I don't know if Trump has gotten a commitment from Qatar to uh, stop funding uh, ISIS and al-Nusra. I don't know. What that's all about? Um, I haven't really looked into that. Uh, that it, that that one I can't explain yet. I I have to do some more research on it.
4: You we had
1: know? a question that you wanted to ask about ISIS. What was that,
4: buddy? Well, no, just going back to uh, how you started this particular uh, part of the conversation about um, uh, that ISIS leader who uh, you know Russia is claiming they they killed. Does it even matter? <laughs> like, what, what I mean right. by that is, right. um, you know, like, okay, they killed one leader. Won't, like, somebody else just kind of take his place? Or, you know, isn't this stuff kind of more ideological than it is, like, an actual organization in the sense that, like, okay, you could take out its head and there's still other um, cells in, in the world. There's other, uh, you know, people ready to... Um, to to commit attacks and things like this, so in a sense, it's kind of like, um, you know over the last ten years or so i've I've heard many times such and such a leader of al Qaeda, such and such a leader of uh, whatever has been killed, but it it's almost like a false sense of security, like okay, now everything will be better. Um, so so my question is like does it does it matter if they they killed this head ISIS guy?
2: It could matter. There's there's two ways to look at the the death of a military or political leader. Uh, one is it's just another soldier, right? So uh, ISIS has how many thousands of people fighting the war? You, you kill one, okay, great. Well, yeah, uh, there's there's more lieutenants and generals who are going to take step up and you know move up the rank, and you're just killing one leader. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is. Leaders are leaders because they have abilities and talents that are not common to all the soldiers in the war. So um, al-Baghdadi was, I, I believe, recognized as a, a great strategist. And if you take out someone who is a key strategist for an organization, you kind of cripple the ability for that organization to come up with good strategic plans to move their operation forward. It would be like taking out the CEO of a company. Uh, what happened when Steve Jobs was no longer head of Apple? Apple has suffered since Steve Jobs was, you know, is no longer the CEO and the owner. Um, you can look at it that way. You can look at it as taking out the head. Is it does disrupt the, the, the strategy and, and the planning, and it, it could be demoralizing to the troops. They could be loyal to him, Yeah, Someone else can take his place, but it it could be seen that way. And you know, at the end of the day, um, ISIS is is on borrowed time. Mattis is bombing, and there is heavy, heavy losses every day with ISIS. They are becoming extinct. They've got a coalition. They've got them surrounded. Um, it's only going to be a, a matter of a few more weeks or or maybe months before ISIS is pretty much um effectively eliminated.
1: Uh David, what do you what do you think about the cryptocurrency craze? Uh
2: I think it's interesting. Um I don't have any revelation from God on cryptocurrency. You know, I I, I like you, I, I know a lot of people who are interested in it. They think it's great. Uh up and coming it's gonna re- some people would go so far as to say it's gonna replace conventional currency. I've done some research on it. Um, I'm not convinced. Um, I, I'm I'm always a little bit leery about fads and crazes. One of my concerns is that it's it's a digital currency, and you really can only access it and use it if you have an electronic device. And that is true. If you lost the ability to get to your electronic device, you kind of don't have the currency available for the currency. So itself. I'm, yeah. I'm a gold and silver person
0: myself. Well, folks, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for dropping by. If you're new to the podcast and you haven't been to my website, you might drop by and check out the articles I have there. If you have any questions or comments about the show, you can contact me at admin at prayingmedic.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at prayingmedic.com. You can also contact me on Facebook and Twitter. I'd like to thank you again for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed the show.